Welcome to Ideas at the House, a weekly podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. I'm your host, Edwina Throsby. Today, I'm with Tilly Lawless, who might be Sydney's best-known sex worker. She's also queer. She writes to a huge Instagram following with really, really beautiful and direct uh, personal experiences. And she's become something of an activist for sex workers' rights. She's also working on her first book called Nothing But My Body. Tilly, it's so good to be here with you at Sydney Opera House. My pleasure. <laughs> so you seem so completely embedded in the mm. Sydney community now. But you didn't spend all of your childhood here, did you? Where did you grow up? No, I grew up mostly in Bellingen in northern New South Wales. But I, you know, I moved to Sydney when I finished high school, as I feel like a lot of people in like country towns do. You know, there's not much going on like job-wise in small towns. So I've been here almost 10 years now. So mm. I really feel like a local if I don't know at what point you become a local. I mean they say in New York it's 10 years so maybe it's the same oh, for maybe Sydney. Same Sydney. Okay well then I'm, I'm officially a local and it feels it feels very much like a home now yeah. So but you still got a huge connection to Bellingen don't you? Oh yeah totally I feel like I will always be a country girl in so many ways. What does that mean? Well you know especially coming from like kind of like a more of a coastal area like I will always choose to walk barefoot rather than wear <laughs> shoes and like sometimes that's confronting for people. And you know Bellingen has got a sort of reputation for being kind of hippie-ish sort mm. of. Was that reflective of your childhood? Did you? Yeah well I mean the reason we moved there because like I at first lived in the Hunter Valley in like Wollombi and part of the reason we moved to Bellingen well there was like really bad bushfires in the Hunter Valley in 1994 mm-hmm. and my dad was like um you know our house almost burnt down it was also like really you know obviously traumatic as I feel like Australians know and so firstly he wanted to move somewhere where bushfires weren't an issue so we took us somewhere that floods instead but also like he knew Bellingen from the 70s because they used to go and pick shrooms there you right. know he was a hippie so what sort of a family like you know your dad was a hippie was it was your mum around when you were growing up yeah my mum was around growing up I actually haven't had anything to do with my mum in more than 10 years now but like she was a part of my growing up what caused you to split my mum was a very destructive person in my life and it was a hard decision to cut her out but it's not a decision I've ever regretted like I have a much um, healthier life and also mental health like without her and like you know I'm kind of like a big supporter of like cutting toxic family members out I don't believe in the thing that like family like lasts forever I very much like believe in like who is bringing like value to your life and who is like treating you well deserves to be in your life you know it's like the queer notion of logical and biological yeah 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 totally Mm. yeah we'll get to that in a bit but um but tell me about your dad because he's been a big person in your life yeah I mean my dad's great I'm really I'm really close with him I'm close with him and my younger brother Mm -hmm. um they're very much like who I would consider like my family but yeah he's really I grew up with him and he's really really left wing I will say he was as left wing as he is he was not comfortable with my work when I started Interesting. Which, yeah. <laughs> so, so look, I mean, you didn't start sex work until you got to Sydney. Yeah. Is that right? So mm-hmm. was, were there sort of economic circumstances around that? Yeah, no, totally. So I moved to Sydney um, to go to Sydney Uni and I had an equity scholarship. So I was like a little bit covered, but also, you know, living out of home in Sydney is expensive. I was on Centrelink, but even then like Centrelink kind of only just like covers your rent, if that, in Sydney. And so I struggled along like the first year and a half just by like babysitting. And I was also working at a bar in the Hunter Valley. 
because um, I used to go horse riding there, country girl vibes. Anyway, <laughs> um, I couldn't give up horse riding. And then about, yeah, a year and a half in, I was like really struggling financially. And my dad was also unemployed at the time. So he couldn't help me out in any way. And so I was like, uh, what can I do that is going to allow me to still spend most of my time studying? Because I had mm-hmm. to keep up a certain mark for my scholarship. And I was like, drug dealing, sex work, drug dealing, sex work. Because <laughs> they're both, you know, meant to be but... financially lucrative or whatever. <laughs> and so yeah. what brought you down on the side of sex work? Was it well, because it was like not... A criminal offence? Well, I actually didn't really know whether sex work was legal or not at the time. Like, I was so ignorant about it. And, like, you know, it seems like, because of the taboos around it, it seems like something that would be illegal. So I wasn't bothered by that. It was more just I thought I'd be really bad at drug dealing because I'm not discreet. (laughs) So, so, yeah. And then I tried sex work and was like, oh, I actually feel like I'm kind of good at this. And, like, yeah, just kept going with it. So, I mean, like, presumably, like, when you say I tried sex work, like, presumably Mm. it's not as simple as just going, like, I'm a sex worker. Or or is it? Like, 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 how do you get into it? I um, spoke to a girl in my tute and I was like, I've been thinking of starting sex work. And she was like, oh, my God, me too. So I don't think I called it sex work. I probably called it prostitution because I feel like I definitely wasn't switched on to, like, what was, like, the, like, correct term. And we just called up an escort agency and went into their apartment in the rocks and did an interview and started straight away. So what was the um, what was the interview? The interview was just like, God, I can't even really remember now. Have you done this before? Um, when do you want to start? And then just telling us what we needed to, what clothes we needed to get. Right. So like the woman who was the receptionist there at the time, she was actually fucking incredible. Like she was this Macedonian glamour and all she wore was head to toe juicy couture tracksuits and she wore a different colour every day right. and always had like, you know, like a big designer bag. And like she'd just look at us and be like, okay, babe, so what you need to get is you need to get a black dress and you need to get black shoes and you need to get a black bag and you need to wear a full face of makeup. And like that was pretty much all we were told because like, I mean, now I can look back and be like, they were more concerned with the aesthetic and presentation of themselves as a company and who they were sending out than our safety. Like they definitely, now that I've worked at other places, I can definitely see they did not have our safety in mind. You know, it's not like they did any sort of like screening with the clients, you know, like when you're a private screening, no, like, it's not like, so when you're a private worker, we have, I won't go into the systems we have in place because I don't want to compromise how they work, but we have systems in place in which we can, you know, screen clients Mm -hmm. and like work out, try and suss out to the best of your ability if you're going to be in a safe scenario. But I think to be honest, that often happens when you're being managed by other people Mm. like often they're more concerned with the income because you're the one taking the risk really like it's not them would there be a ramification though on um on an escort agency or a brothel if it got a reputation for not looking after i think it's really i mean there's a ramification in that other workers may leave and like warn like workers and established workers won't work there but you have and I'm going to say women because it is largely women Mm -hmm. who enter the industry though of course not all sex workers are women you always have women who are in economic need who don't know anything about the industry who will try somewhere you know so it's there's kind of like an endless flow I guess it's the same way the same way with modeling agencies that have Mm -hmm. a bad rep they can still get young models in you know even if it's kind of like known within the industry that they're dodgy and I think also because of the stigma around sex work very few sex workers will take something to like fair trade or something for a dodgy workplace so like it does mean that like places can keep operating in ways that they shouldn't Mm -hmm. yeah so in those um early days 
was it was it hard was it easy was it both it was i mean when i first started at the escort agency it was really just very absurd <laughs> so like i had like i had only slept with one guy in my private life at that point so the first booking i went to was only the second man i'd ever slept with in my life so like because like yeah all these like first bookings that i had were really kind of my first times with men it was just like quite a hilarious scenario like I didn't know I didn't know much about men's bodies and they can be pretty absurd yeah they can uh, be pretty and sex is pretty mm. absurd yeah. I think yeah I mean I only did with the escorting agency for two months because I quickly realized I mean we were working such hectic shifts too we used to work 8 p.m till 6 a.m and I was studying at the time so I'd be going to uni exhausted and I also just didn't really fit in because, like, a lot of the girls, the look of that escorting agency was more like, you know, um, fake tits, like, work done, like, a lot of makeup. And I just, like, really wasn't making very much money because I didn't fit into their mm. idea of, like, high class. So, like, I then went to a massage parlour and from there, full service massage and then brothel work and then made my way back to escorting but as a private worker. Right, where you yeah. have more control. Yeah, exactly. And you can market the way you want. So this yeah. ties into or the notion of the horocracy or the horarchy. Sorry, horarchy. Yeah, I yeah, beg yeah, your yeah, pardon. yeah totally. Can you can you tell me about the horarchy? So the horarchy is basically the hierarchy that exists in the sex industry and shouldn't, whereby like some sex workers are seen as more valuable or more acceptable than others. And like I mean, it changes slightly from place to place depending on like um, criminalization of things. But basically, like street-based sex workers are seen as the bottom. And you get like, for example, sugar babies are at the top. And I mean, I also argue that trophy wives are really <laughs> right. at the top. Like I think they're, that's a form of, you know, in some way sex work. because It's a capitalistic exchange, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exchanging like, you know, economic stability for like youth and beauty and stuff. And then, you know, you have like all the other kinds of workers in there at some point. So like brothel workers are like seen as closer to the bottom and you've got like escorts. Massage parlour workers are often seen a bit higher up because they're not necessarily having full service, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, penetrative penis and vagina sex. And then you have like BDSM mistresses and phone sex workers and like they're all in there somewhere, but it's, it's, it's really quite shifting. It basically shouldn't exist. Like, but, I don't, yeah. It puts at the bottom things that are sort of classified as more dirty or something. Exactly, And yeah, at yeah, the top, yeah. something that is more palatable to a kind of heteronormative structure totally. whereby... yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Or, mm. like, more monogamous structures right, are seen right. as more acceptable, yeah. You say that, you know, um, the sort of whole idea of straight sex was sort of new to you yeah. pretty much when you started working. What was your sort of teenage sexuality like? I mean, I started... I knew I was into girls when I was... 14 and I came out when I was 15 and I think the first time I slept with a girl I was just turned 16 so from 16 to 19 all I did was sleep with well not just cis women I also slept with a few um, trans guys and non-binary people but I hadn't slept with any cis men mm -hmm. and I mean also through those years I was also drinking really really heavily so most of my experiences were drunk experiences right. except for I did get my first girlfriend get sorry that sounds like I acquired her sorry Georgia <laughs> that sounds awful um I um started dating my first girlfriend when I was 17 and I dated her from 17 to 19 and then when I broke up with her I slept with a guy and I was like wow that was so easy and that's when I started thinking about sex right 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 yeah easy how like just because it was emotionally easy or it was um I think emotionally easy was part of it but also it's just it's so much easier to make a guy come 
<laughs> like I was saying it required like a lot less energy, like a lot less thought. I just kind of had to like, you know, be in kind of hot positions and the guy, you know, really liked it. And I was like, whoa. Like, it's like When you look at your teens now, is that a sort of happy time, sad time, mixed, confused? Like- I mean, I was like heavily depressed and anxious through my teens and wasn't really getting the mental health support I needed. So, yeah, I was just quite mentally unhinged at that time. Like mm-hmm. I was drinking a lot. I was um, self-harming a lot. Um, I mean, I still had incredible times in my teens and I still value a lot of the friendships I formed then. So like, I'm not saying like it was all awful, but it was very difficult. It was difficult being queer in a small town. I think it's also very difficult. And like, I'm going to say this because I feel like I meet a lot of women who've had difficult relationships with their mothers. And I think it's people are inclined to blame the daughter when there's difficult mother-daughter relationships. I think when people have a difficult father-daughter relationship, people are very happy to accept that a father is flawed, you know? Like I have lots of friends who've had awful relationships with their fathers and no one ever questions them. Whereas when I say I don't speak to my mother, people say, oh, what did you do, you know? And I think that's because we set up mothers as these like perfect sort of like maternal, like nurturing figures um, and we can't view them outside, that sort of thing. So having started working in the sex industry you'd been you'd been a sex worker for a couple of years but you hadn't really gotten into activism in those early years had you so there was a turning point in uh around 215 where Mamma Mia website posted an article about Pretty Woman the movie that argued that sex work was basically harmful and bad Um, and and you responded to that could you tell me about that yeah I responded to that because it was just so ridiculous so basically they had like this photo of Julia Roberts and they were like well first they were saying Pretty Woman enticed people into industry I don't really think it does it doesn't present sex work in a great you know a great way but they had this photo of like Julia Roberts like smiling and they were like you know sex work isn't this you know smiling photo of Julie Roberts it's actually this woman and they had this woman who was like obviously had been you know very distressed looked like she'd been beaten up like lying in a gutter and I just responded saying you know sex work is neither of those things you know like it's actually there's a myriad of um, different stories in sex work and most people exist somewhere in between those and I hashtagged it and I posted a photo of myself to be like you know I'm a sex worker and I exist somewhere in between and I hashtagged it faces of prostitution and that went viral so like I got I mean, a lot of media attention at the time um, and was basically thrust inadvertently into activism Hmm. because I was, you know, suddenly being asked all this stuff and I was like, well, firstly, I'd been outed internationally under my real name because, I mean, I'd outed myself because, but I hadn't expected it to go viral. So like, um, and I think a lot of the media assumed that Tilly Lawless was a fake name Hmm. or like a performer's name because Lawless is an unusual last name. So like... (laughs) So I think without question, people just like put my um, name everywhere. And so I was like, oh, well, like, you know, now there's kind of no going back. Like everyone knows I do sex work and I should probably like utilize the position I have, you know, which is being able to speak about these things without risk of being outed because the worst has already happened, you know, and also utilize the skills I have, you know, like I am articulate and I can, you know, generally speak about things in like a way that appeals to people. But mainly it was just like, I'm in a position that so many other sex workers can't be in because, you know, they can't say openly what they do about their work because they're worried about losing family members or worried about having their children taken off them or worried about losing their normal job. And I was like, oh, well, I have none of those things. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I guess I kind of have, I actually kind of felt like a sort of like grave responsibility to just go with it. 
and do what I could. Was that the point that your family found out or had you spoken to them about it already? My dad and my brother knew. My dad, as I said, it took my dad, as I said, even though he was so left wing, it took him and I would say two to three years to really come round to it. What was that, like, what was his first reaction and what was his journey coming around to it? His first reaction was, you could do anything else. Like, why do that? You know, and he was just like, you're going to be exposed to the worst kinds of men doing that. Um, I think, like, fathers still have this thing of, like, wanting to protect their daughter and I think he'd seen it as a failure of his that I was doing sex work. How did you reassure him? Well, I mean, he kind of... I didn't really try and reassure him. Like, I kind of thought it was his his right. issue to overcome. So, yeah, it took him a while. Um, and my brother knew, but my brother, like, didn't care at all. Like, he's, like, a few years younger than me. He just was constantly hitting me up to borrow money. Like, <laughs> <laughs> such a classic younger brother thing. Like, he was like, great, now you cashed up. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, my extended family did find out um, after that, like, kind of phases of prostitution thing. And they were not happy. Mm. Um, my extended family, a lot of them are very Christian. A lot of them, I would say, are very conservative. I mean, I mean, it's all relative as to what's conservative or not. But I think some of them had struggled even with the fact that I was gay. Right. So then to not only be gay but be a prostitute and everyone knew that I was a prostitute, like I did get some very angry contacts from like aunts and cousins who said that I was like bringing shame on the family or whatever. But as I said, like I had already had such an attitude because I was already estranged from my mum and my mum's side of the family. I had no reluctance to cut people out. I, you know, as if I see families don't serve you, you don't serve them, you know? So it was probably less, I mean, it was, it was really, really upsetting at the time, but it was less traumatic for me than it would have been for someone who's really close to their extended family. How have you managed your sort of personal sex and dating life um, yeah. against your work. And you, you've talked, you've spoken before about the idea of emotional monogamy, mm-hmm. which I'm kind of interested in, but then I think that's a shifting thing as well. How, how, have, how have your personal relationships kind of gone over the years that you've been working? Well, I think one of the things that makes, I mean, has made it really easy for me has been the fact that I'm queer. Mm. So there's like a real delineation between the sex I have at work, which is mainly with, heterosexual cis men mm-hmm. um, and the sex I have in my private, which is usually with with women, whether cis or trans, trans guys, not binary people. Um, so that's made it a lot easier for me. Like a lot of my straight sex working friends can find it more difficult. I've also often dated sex workers or mm-hmm. people who are in the industry. Like I dated a brothel manager for a while. So they've often been able to understand the separation between work sex and private life sex. So I haven't had to deal with the kind of jealousy issues that people assume are inevitable. So that's been really helpful. But yeah, I basically, for me, the most valuable thing in a relationship is emotional monogamy, not sexual. Mm -hmm. So for me, the fact that like, I want to have my life with someone and that's the person who's on my mind and that's the person I fantasize about a future with, like none of those things can be threatened by the sex I have at work. I just did have a really dysfunctional, like awful abusive relationship that I definitely stayed in for longer than I would have otherwise because it was earlier on in my sex working career. And, you know, I thought like 
it was amazing to have someone still find me desirable for dating as a sex worker. And so I think I stayed in that longer than I would have because I was like, if I'm not with them, who's going to want to date me? Was that um, sort of like an internalised kind of prejudice that you'd absorbed and put onto yourself? Like what, what was going on I mean, there? I don't know if I, I saw myself as less valuable, but I was aware that society saw me as a less valuable for dating. And there are a lot of people who are happy to fuck a sex worker but aren't going to, you know, bring a sex worker home to their family or want to have children with a sex worker. And, you know, that still is something that's apparent to me, oh, you know? Yeah. So, but at the moment I'm actually practising emotional celibacy. So <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> I only have casual sex. I don't go on dates. I don't, I try not to get into anyone. Um, I try not to occupy my thoughts with anyone. So is that a self-protective thing for you? It is a self-protective thing. Mm. I had a few really, really intense relationships and I was like quite suicidal for a few years there. So I have decided to practice emotional celibacy till I overcome the romantic dating patterns that have been in my life until I'm like, feel like I'm ready to have like a functional romantic relationship. So what is your pattern? I mean, everybody's got one. Yeah. So I date addicts. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hot addicts. They're always really hot and charismatic. But like that's always what I've dated. Fair. Yeah. I think that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, There seem to be quite a lot of queer women who work in the sex industry. Mm. I wonder whether that's got to do with that sort of separation that you're talking about, that ability to draw a line. Totally. Well, I think one of the brothel managers I first worked under when she found out I was gay, she was like, you're going to last here a long time. She was like, all the longest lasting sex work as a lesbian. So I think that is part of it. But I also always wonder too, like chicken or the egg, you know what I mean? Like mm. are queer women drawn more into sex work or by being in sex work, do people realise their diverse sexuality, you know, because you're exposed to more experiences. Like, I don't know, because obviously, like, I think most people are probably somewhere, like, on the spectrum. But there's a lot of, definitely when I'm working, I would say, like, 60% of the sex workers I've worked with or interacted with are somewhere on that, like, queer, bisexual, sort of gay spectrum. Yeah, which is way higher than, you know, the average population. Or the, the average population admits. Yeah, oh, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Maybe just sex workers admit it more. Yeah. I mean, it is true that, that yeah. the queer community is typically, and I mean, you know, that this is obviously generalising, but mm. but typically more sex positive than the, yeah. than the sort of mainstream community. Totally. So maybe that makes it easier as well. There's yeah, less sort yeah. of stigma attached or something. Definitely. So in terms of this stigma, this mm. kind of broader stigma, I mean, that in many ways is what makes your job the hardest. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think stigma i mean in in other places like obviously legislation like obviously I'm really but i think that's bound here. up with stigma right you know i mean i think that the reason that there's like stigma well i don't know i think that even because obviously we're decriminalized here and we still have stigma as a whole huge issue which still... but we're one state in a country in a world yeah that's mm. true they're definitely bound together but i think they're also separate in some ways like I don't think fixing legislation unfortunately like eradicates stigma like mm-hmm. I think they both need to be fought side by side but yes yeah, stigma I think also how emotionally exhausting the job is it can be very hard to do sex work when you're mentally unwell mm-hmm. I have really struggled through periods of when I've been suicidal because of things that are happening in my personal life and having to, you know, it is a customer service job and it's a very exhausting customer service job and having to go and play like being like the happy person and having people touch me when I don't feel like being touched can be a really, really difficult aspect of the job. And unfortunately, because we're not, you know, employees, so we don't have sick leave and like 
you don't have any sort of employee benefits, it can be really difficult. And it can also be difficult because it can be hard to find therapists who are sex worker, like accepting of sex work. Right. So often you go to a therapist and they see the issue as the sex work rather than it's like, no, the issues are in my personal life and that's making it really hard to do sex work. Just speaking from my personal experience, I would say stigma and also the way that stigma impacts the care you can get when you're emotionally unwell or like mentally unwell. Given that sort of absence of, of really obvious sort of, you know, avenues for care, what are the strategies that you've formed yourself for self-care in, in those sorts of situations? Do you have any or do you just have to like get really resilient? Honestly, the only thing that really helps if I'm like burnt out or really unwell is time off. Right. And I think that's across any industry. Yeah, it's like, yeah one of my friends has that issue in advertising right now and she's just had to take, like I feel like you just have to have time off to do the things that you really love and like get back into your own body. And so, I mean, for me now, I always make sure I have enough money to be able to survive a month off work if I need. So if like something bad happens with a client or if something bad happens in my personal life, I can just take that time off because it really makes you a lot worse having to push through and it can make it can make you really, really hate the job. And it can also complicate your relationship with consent too. Oh, because when okay. you're doing something that you really don't want to do, but you really need the money, you're like, you really can feel, I mean, as people say, coerced by capitalism or whatever. Yeah. And like, I have had periods where I've really, really hated the work. My relationship with myself is so much better now that like I'm able to be in a financial position when I can take time off when I need, when I can say no to a client that's a really awful client, you know? It would be amazing if all sex workers in the world were in a position mm. where they could financially afford to say no if they wanted to. You know, how much solidarity and support do you get from other sex workers? Like, how does that go? I imagine that you get all types. Like, I'm sure that oh. there are plenty of homophobic workers. I'm sure there are plenty of racist workers. I'm sure there are Definitely. just like anywhere. <laughs> What's your experience with um, that? I love the sex work community. Um, I feel a lot of solidarity with them. But um, I also just one of the things I love about it is... I mean, I choose to do mainly brothel work mm -hmm. um, because I prefer it to private work because private work, you're just, you're very kind of solitary in a way, you know, you're going off and seeing a client. But like with brothel work, you have this like community of women that are physically there in the space with you. And there's kind of an accelerated intimacy that comes with sex work because you know the kind of like deepest parts of each other. And also you often know about each other's lives in ways that no one else knows right. because you're working with so many women who are closeted, whose yeah. like partners and children and families don't know they work. So you really do, um, you have each other's back. Of course, that's not to say there are no issues in the sex work community. There is as there are in any communities, but I have had overall extremely positive experiences with the sex worker community and I really, really appreciate being able to work in a workspace that's mainly women. Are you proud of your work? I wouldn't say I'm proud of my work. Um, I, I mean, I have issues with the word pride anyway. Uh, I just like... <laughs> what a thing for a queer person to I know, say. <laughs> yeah, but I have issues with the concept of a queer pride too because I feel like, okay, so pride is like always set up as, you know, you're meant to feel queer pride because society says we're meant to feel shame for being queer. Mm -hmm. So pride is like right, a, a response and reaction to that. I yep. don't think we should feel shame for being queer. So therefore I don't really feel pride. You know what I mean? And also I feel odd feeling pride about something. I didn't choose to be gay. So like, why would I feel pride about something I haven't achieved? I just am. I also just find it such an American concept. Right. Like pride, I feel like it's quite tied up with egoism. I don't feel pride about being a sex worker, but I also don't feel shame. 
Mm-hmm. I just think it is something. There are things I do feel pride about, right? And I feel pride pride about the fact that I've worked very hard in my life. Mm-hmm. And I feel pride about the fact that I don't let people's opinions get to me that I don't respect. So, but those are two things that I've, as I said, that I've kind of achieved or I've worked on in myself. I don't feel like I need to feel the need to feel pride about being a sex worker. Do you? Yeah. I, I, let, let, let me rephrase the question. Yeah. Do you think you're good at your job? I do think I'm good at my job. I think I have skills in my job. I don't think I have a calling for the work. Yeah, right. Yeah. There are some sex workers who, like, it is fully their passion and their career for life, and I have so much respect for them, but I don't feel like I was made to do sex work or uh, or am way better at it than other sex workers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your values? I believe in honesty. <laughs> Um, I very much believe in treating people in the best possible way that you can. Like I believe in kindness. I believe in patience. Um, I believe in community responsibility. I believe in in working on yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really believe in the fact that like having the right politics isn't the only important thing. I think it's how you treat people interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've often met people who, you know, uh, have all the correct values and say all the correct things but aren't The kind, kind. of assholes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but, yeah, I guess I would say, like, all, probably trying to be the best person you can be is what's um, really important to me and um, never becoming stagnant. Yeah. Do you have a retirement plan? I when I first started, I said I wanted to stop by 30. And just because I thought 10 years in any industry was enough, and especially in an industry that I wasn't necessarily passionate about. You know, as I said, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have a calling. Um, whereas I do feel like I have a calling for writing, you know, like it's something I've always loved and always wanted to do since I was, you know, a child. So now I kind of have a more sort of flexible view of it so I do kind of by the time I'm 30 want to no longer be relying on sex work as my main income but I feel so comfortable continuing to do it just not full-time right through my 30s um I don't feel like I I need to leave it I'm actually quite happy with it you've spoken um publicly about wanting to be pregnant and have children in your future what would you hope for them Oh, I just I just hope that any children I have live in a kinder, more accepting world. But I also hope that they don't suffer because of the work I've done. You know, that is the only thing I worry about with being a sex worker, that, like, they'll be, like, bullied at school or something because their mum's a prostitute or whatever. That's why I, I guess, hope that it's going to be a kinder, more yeah, accepting world. And yeah. let's hope that your work, your work and your activism and all of that shifts yeah. social attitudes so, totally. you know, kids don't get bullied for that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think kids should ever get bullied for their parents' of anything. choices let's... anyway. Yeah, or, or <laughs> of anything, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, Tilly Lawless, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us today. I loved it. Thank Mm. you. (laughs) You can watch this talk, along with the others, on our video platform called Stream. You'll find the link in our show notes. I'm your host, Edwina Throsby, and I'll catch you next time.
You can watch this talk, along with the others recorded at the All About Women Festival, on our video platform called Stream. You'll find the link in our show notes. I'm your host, Edwina Throsby, and I'll catch you next time.